I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm trying to impart to you some truths about the Bible from the Greek text and the Hebrew text. We have to depend on that because we can't depend upon the English text. I don't care what version you use of the Bible. I'm not interested in versions. I'm interested in the Textus Receptus in the Greek and going back to the Hebrew text in the Hebrew. And we can do that with a concordance and with an interlinear Bible. I've been talking to you about Christmas. Uh, We're in December. Christmas is just a few days away. Christmas is paganism to the core. Christmas, Easter, Mardi Gras, Valentine's, Halloween are all the same thing in different cultures in the ancient world. They're the same thing. They're paganism. I've got I've got a, some tracks that I've written over here. Wrote them all about 30 years ago. Uh, I've written a lot since. But there's about 65 or 70 tracks over here. And what I'm trying to do is share some of those with you. I've got one here. It's one of my favorite tracks, and I want to read it to you. The title of it is Popular Opinion is Against God. Love this track. Proverbs 14 and 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Most people think they know about salvation, and they don't. Most preachers preach a wrong message of salvation. First Timothy 16 and 7. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You cannot... If you look at the outward appearance, the Bible calls that respect of persons. Respect of persons. That is the word... That is the word prosopolipteo, P-R-O-S, prosopolepteo. That's one word in the Greek, respect of persons. It comes from three words, pros, meaning toward or far. Toward or far. And ops. It looks a little familiar. We get our word optical from that. Ops means the visage. That's a word you use for what you're looking at instead of vision. Vision comes from your eye, but visage is what you're looking at. B-I-S-A-G-E. That's what you're looking at. Visage. And lambano. Lambano means to take hold of. This is the way most people look at the world. They move toward what they see and take hold of it. That means to look at the surface. If he's handsome and she's beautiful, or if he's glib and he's got a real quick wit in the mouth and and this person over here is ugly and they don't have a great personality, 
men have a tendency to gravitate towards what is popular. What everybody likes. That would be very closely connected to the word reproach. Reproach is the word O-N-E-I-D-I-Z-O. Anidizo, anidizo means to be infamous. So people want somebody that's famous and popular and everybody likes, and that's respect of persons. And that's what this verse is talking about in First Samuel 16 and 7. That's when Samuel went down. When God had rejected Saul from being king, and Samuel went down to Bethlehem, Judah, went to Jesse, the father of a big family, and said, God's chosen one of your sons to be king. And and he's, and Jesse marches out, his oldest son, who's the tallest of all his sons, and a mighty-looking man. His name is Eliab. And Samuel looked at Eliab and said, Surely this has to be God's anointed. And and Jesse said, well, surely it must be because this is, he's a great soldier in Saul's army. It must be him. And that's when God said, I have not chosen this. He called Eliab a this. I haven't chosen this. And then he said those great words. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I have to have created a good heart in man, and it's not this Eliab. The tallest man in Israel up to this point had been Saul. Boy, and he was he turned out to be a dud. Now let me continue reading this. Matthew seven, thirteen, fourteen. Any end at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat, because straight, narrow, is the gate, and straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few will find it. Few, oligos, means a puny number. Let God be true and every man a liar. True is out of face, means not to conceal anything. Now the body of the track. Popular opinion covers up the truth of God by an outward exterior. All men lie when they attempt to conceal the wickedness of their own hearts by their pride, wealth, beauty, talent, money, strength, power, and position. Man's outward appearance is the pretense an opinion by which he calls God a liar. He says, look at me. I am respectable in the community. God won't send me to hell because I'm a nice guy. In man's opinion, life is a popularity contest, and it is. Do you know that's all that the presidential race is about? A popularity contest. It is not a search for truth. Truth is not popular. Jesus said that the things of the world which man holds in high esteem, when he holds in high esteem, 
position, money, popularity. They are an abomination, a stinking smell to God. Luke 16 and 15, that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to God. These things are man's covering. Romans 3 and 7, my lie is what Paul called it, with which he deceives himself. Paul says that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. That's in 1 Corinthians one twenty six, one of my favorite verses in all the New Testament. Not many important men are going to go to heaven. Most presidents and presidential candidates and senators and rich people and movie stars and country music stars and pop stars and football players and baseball players, most of them are going to hell. How do you like that? That's what the Bible says. God will not allow man to continue to glory in the flesh. 1 Corinthians one twenty nine. The man who constantly talks of himself and all of his accomplishments seeks his own glory. John seven eighteen. This is the great lie outward appearance with which a man clothes himself. Paul's words deny this false covering which man uses to tell the lie of self-glory. 1 Corinthians 4 and 7. I love this verse. What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as though thou hadst not received it from God? What talent do you have? How fast can you run? How far can you hit a ball? How straight can you throw a ball? What kind of a wide receiver are you on some NFL team? And you didn't get it from God. Paul is saying all that have the all that we have is a gift from God. Why are you boasting and taking credit as though it were your own creation? The majority of mankind votes for himself, and this majority, many, will enter destruction, hell, because they vote for their own opinion and not God's truth. Boy, I love that. Few of the population of the world will believe God and enter the narrow gate into everlasting life. Truth is not determined by the vote of the masses. It matters not what man thinks, whether president, minister, financial wizard, beauty queen, or celebrity. Only one vote counts. God has already cast it before the foundation of the world. The world doesn't care what truth really is. They think that truth is what they think it is. How's that? They think truth is what they think it is. By popular vote. The man who tells truth is unpopular with men, but he is blessed of God. Luke 6.22, another favorite verse. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, make you infamous, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. The only might that makes right belongs to God, and he will reveal it when he calls the world to judgment. God is a majority of one. We must repent of our opinions and believe God's truth. Boy, I like that. Don't you like that? That is powerful. Get that and give that to some of your friends.
All right. We're talking about Christmas. Christmas is Christ's Mass. There's nothing righteous about the Mass. The Mass is cannibalism. It's eating human flesh. I've got a, another track. I'll maybe read it next week. On eating human flesh, it was against God's law to eat human flesh. Over in Deuteronomy and over in Acts, the 15th chapter, God says you can't eat human flesh. Boy, we have we are so messed up in this world. All right. I'm talking about what is... I started this last week, and I'm going to try to finish it up this week. I don't know if I can. There's so much to it. I, I keep saying the Catholics... The Catholics have taken the Passover. This is part two. Part two. The Catholics have taken the Passover and turned it, turned it into the Mass. The Mass is the very focal point of Roman Catholicism. The Mass is eating. It's eating. It's not actually eating. It is pretending. Pretending to eat. Let me just put it this way. Pretending to eat the body of Christ But the thing is, they don't know what the body is. They don't know what the body is. The Bible, and the, let me say this, the Protestants, have taken the Passover, have taken the Passover, taken Passover, And turned it into crackers and grape juice and called it, called it. Communion. I keep saying this. Let me say it again. There is five places in the New Testament where you find that they've taken this Passover and turned it into crackers and grape juice. The first place you'll find it is Matthew, the 26th chapter. And you you find Mark's account of the same thing in Mark, the 14th chapter. And then Luke has his account of it, Luke, Luke, the 22nd chapter. And John has his account in John, in John, the 13th chapter. It's one other place in the New Testament. 
1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. And what it says in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter is just repeating in red letters what is being said in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's repeating in red letters what Jesus said at the last Passover. Now, one more time, let me let me read something to you that kind of does away with the fact that this is crackers and grape juice. They say that what happened at this so this thing called the Lord's Supper, what they say what happened, they just that Jesus turned this into or he added they had a Passover meal meal and that Jesus added something to that he added this communion I do not believe that at all what I'm trying to tell you is the Passover according to The first time the Passover is here. The Passover was a judgment. Passover. Equals a judgment of God. What was the Passover? It was the tenth plague. This is the judgment. The tenth plague that God sent upon Egypt to cause Pharaoh to let the people go into the wilderness. It was the tenth plague. That's a judgment, isn't it? Certainly it is. Well, what God says, when you get look at Malachi, Malachi, concerning God's judgment, this is what he said. Here's what he said. In Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, that third chapter look at verse 5 I will come near to you to judgment we're talking about the judgments of God I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers against the adulterers against false swearers and against those that oppress the hireling and his wages the widow the fatherless and that turn aside the stranger from his right And fear not me, saith the Lord. I am the Lord concerning my judgments. I change not. Boy, that word change is, boy, it is an unbelievable word. Shonah. In my judgments, I shock Shonah. Change not. Change. Shonah means to transmute or duplicate what are you saying anywhere you find my judgments one of my main judgments was the Passover the first festival in the month of Nisan Nisan it was the month of Nisan is March April And he says, in this Passover, I do not mutate the Passover. You have Passover here in the Old Testament. And God did not get to Jesus' last 
Supper, which was the Passover, and mutated into crackers and grape juice. And not only did he not mutate it, he didn't set up a crackers and grape juice at the last Passover and retain the spiritual Passover because we are in a spiritual Passover. I keep saying, I've said this last week, they say all they have is crackers and grape juice at this what is the last Passover? Go back to Matthew. Go back to Matthew, the 26th chapter. Matthew 26. I'm going to read this the same way I always read it. Now, Matthew, the 26th chapter. Jesus. The Bible says here in verse 2, after two days is the feast of the Passover. Then two days pass by the time you get to verse 17. Now the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying unto him, Where wilt thou that we should prepare for thee to eat the Passover, not crackers and grape juice, not the Mass, And then he says in verse 18, And he said, Go into into the city to such a man, and send him, The master saith, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. Then he goes on in the next verse and says, The disciples did as Jesus had appointed them, and they made ready the Passover. They're going to eat the Passover, not crackers and grape juice. Now, There's a reason they'll come up and say that they were eating crackers and grape juice. Let me give you, let me skip over here to John 13 where you find the last Passover here at John 13. And there's a mistranslation of a word here. How do I know? I went to the interlinear Bible, to the Greek text, and I found out what the word was. It doesn't say in the Greek text, what it says in this English text. So, he says here in 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he would depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, that's all he loved was his own, He loved them unto the end. And the supper being ended. That's why they say, say, see the supper is over when they eat the cracker and grape juice. The word is not ended. The word is, you've heard me use this word many times. Get on my. You can get that. G-I-N-O-M-A-I. It's a form of ganea. And genesis. Genesis is our word genesis, and it means nativity. It means when somebody's born and they begin to live. Genea means born. And genomai means to cause to be or come 
into being. When the Passover had come into being, it was in existence. What's going to happen after this is the existence of the Passover. The Passover's not ended here. Well, how could they put that in here? That's insane. Probably Roman Catholics did that because they wanted to build up their Eucharist. Boy, I can't believe they did that. It's crazy. Now, let me give you something else. Show this is not crackers and grape juice. Go back to Luke's account. We'll go look at Luke's account and Luke 22. I put these up here. Luke 22. I just looked at John 13 at something and I'm going to, and I've looked at Matthew 26. Now let Luke at Luke 22. Luke 22. And this is to show you they're not eating crackers and grape juice. There are several items at the Passover. I've already given it to you, but let me give it to you again. There's a lamb without blemish. There is there is unleavened bread for seven days. That's the seven-day Passover feast. And then there's four cups. And the third cup was a special kind of cup. It was called Cup of Blessing. And that was an official title of the third cup of the Passover. It was the third cup. And that's and what we got is a spiritual Passover. Then there was bitter herbs. I went through this last week. Well, you're going to have to have a lamb there. And you find the lamb right here in Luke 22, verse 7. This is during, if you look at verse 1, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Now, look at verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. What are they going to kill the bread? Or are they going to kill the grape juice? There were three things they called the Passover. Three things. I'm going to be as elementary as I can. They called the seven-day feast... It had the title of the Passover. They didn't have to define it. They just knew what it was. Then they had the day. The day was Nisan 14. Oh, that's our month, March, April, since they had 360 days in the year. It didn't come exactly on our days. March, April. March, April. And then they had the lamb that they called the Passover. Now, what in the world do you think this means when it says the Passover must be killed? You think they're going to kill the feast? Are they going to kill the day? Are they going to kill the lamb? They're going to kill the lamb. That was here how these preachers can get 
through these texts here and not see that a lamb had to be killed. But not once, twice it says it. Look at Mark's account over in Mark 14. You'll find the Passover there. Mark 14. And it takes two witnesses at least. So God's given us two witnesses about a lamb at the Passover. And Mark 14... Mark 14, verse 12. 14, verse 12. All right. 14, 12. And the first day of unleavened bread when they killed the Passover lamb. His disciples said unto him, Well, wilt thou that we should prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover now, Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Let me add something up here. How? The apostles were puzzled when he said that. How can we eat his flesh and drink his blood? I want to show you that today. Eat, except you eat my flesh And drink my blood. You do not have e- no eternal life. So we got to eat the flesh and the and the blood of Christ. We got to find out what the flesh is. We got to find out what drink blood means. Eat flesh and drink blood was an ancient idiom of the Jews. It meant to partake in a slaughter. I'm trying to be real elementary on this. It meant to partake in a slaughter. The Bible says in Romans the 8th chapter that we are lambs to the slaughter. That's us. We're lambs to the slaughter. Twice this is specifically mentioned in the Bible. Look at look at Ezekiel the thirty ninth chapter. This is an old ancient idiom. It didn't mean to literally take the body and the blood of Christ. It was against God's law to drink human blood and eat human flesh. All through the Old Testament. You couldn't do that Leviticus 17 over in Deuteronomy. You can't eat flesh and drink blood. Against God's law. Now look here in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel. It might take me a while to get through this, but I want people to see this. We have got a world that's so bad messed up. Now Ezekiel... The 38th chapter is talking about the destruction of Gog and Magog at the end of time. Gog was an ancient title for the enemies of Gog, for the enemies of God. Uh, You find Gog and Magog comes from Ko and Koph. 
Gog was between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. Well, I got to get one. Well, there it is. You see these Caucasus Mountains right here. Here's the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. We get the word Gog and Magog from Caucasus. Caucasus. Gog was simply the hardening of the ascetic Ka, Kaf. They hardened the K's and hardened the H, Gog. This is, you can get this out of my clinic and strong look up Gog and Magog. They'll tell you that. And that was the Caucasus Mountains where that was the head of the Scythian and the Assyrian empires there. That's where Gog and Magog come from. These were the enemies of God in the north. And this was, this 39th chapter is about the destruction of Gog, Magog. They call the tops of their mountains, the Caucasus Mountains, they call them Gog, they call the mountains Gog, and the height of the mountains they call Magog. And they named their leaders after the mountains, calling the leaders Gog. So this is talking about the destruction of Gog and Magog, which is a picture of the destruction of actually the man of sin at the end of time. And look here in verse 17. And thou son of man, God is addressing Ezekiel, Verse 17, Thus saith the Lord God, Speak unto every feathered fowl, and unto every beast of the field, Assemble yourselves, all the carnivorous animals, the, the buzzards, the, the eagles, the, uh, all these animals of, that want to devour flesh, Come and gather yourselves on every side, to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even a great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth and of rams and lambs and of goats and bullocks and all of them fatlings of Bashan. Now look at Revelation 19. This is the same picture, Revelation 19. Revelation 19. I I don't know exactly how to get through all of this because there's going to be a lot here to it. Revelation, the 19th chapter. This is where Christ is coming back, and Gog and Magog will be the enemies of God. That's the way God described them in in, uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Then Christ is coming back upon a white horse in verse 11. I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse... And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and righteousness in righteousness doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. I got a lot to say about that, uh, about Israel being the apple or the pupil of God's eye. And if anyone who touches Israel, they've touched the apple of his eye, and they punch God in the eye. And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. 
and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the Unto the supper of the great God, there will be so many millions of people dead, there won't be enough funeral homes to take care of the people. So God's got a way of cleaning it up. He's going to call all the fowls of the air, all the beasts of the field, and come eat these dead bodies. And ye shall eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains of flesh of mighty men and the flesh of presidents and senators and kings throughout the world and the flesh of horses and them that sat on them, and the flesh of all men, both of free and bond, both small and great. That's eat flesh and drink blood. Now, let's go over to Matthew, the 24th chapter. Matthew 24. And the apostles say, Lord, what's going to be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And he, and he goes into all of these signs... He says, many will come in my name. They'll say that I am Christ and deceive many. And he says, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. I like that nation against nation. The word nation is the word ethnos. It's the same word as Gentile. Gentiles against Gentiles. The nations of the world are going to be fighting. It's what they're going to be, and that's going on today. And then he says here, and he's talking about the end coming. And he's and he's talking about people saying they've seen Christ, and he said if they say, Lo, here or there, believe it not, don't go forth. If they say he's in the desert, go not forth, because the next time the world sees me, it will be, verse 27, as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even to the west. Now, that's been misunderstood by most people. What does east to west mean? Well, the world is on an axis, and east to west means around the world. It's all the way around the world. East to west will be around the world. That's how he'll... Every eye shall see Christ. And then he says, those words that nobody understood without reading 39 of Ezekiel and 19 of Revelation, verse 28, For wheresoever the carcass is, all these dead billions, there will the eagles be gathered together. Now you know what that means. All right. And they'll be gathered together to eat flesh and drink blood. I don't know if I gave you that last verse over in Mark. Did I give you that in Mark, the 14th chapter? Yeah, I read that. You have to have a lamb there. So 
when these people try to build crackers and grape juice out of this, or the Roman Catholics try to make it eating, how do you eat the body of Christ? How do we do that? Eat doesn't necessarily mean to put something in your mouth and chew it. Let's look at a couple of verses. Look at John 4. Look at John 4. When you eat something, it don't mean you put it in your mouth and chew it. Look here in John 4. Jesus says it's in Samaria. That's northern Israel. And he's been talking to this woman at the well of Samaria and said, and she's at the well of Jacob's well, and the well is deep, and it's got this running water that they call living water down there, and they called all running water living water if it was in a mountain or in a deep well. And Jesus said, if you'll ask me, I'll give you living water, and you'll never thirst again. And she was talking about the water in the well. She said, how can you? You don't have anything to draw with. Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the Spirit is living water. Then the apostles decide to go into town and get something to eat. Let's look here in chapter 4 and look in verse 27. Upon this came his upon this came his disciple and marveled that he talked with this woman because that's something you didn't do. You didn't talk to Samaritans; they were considered low life. Yet no man said, "What seekest thou? Why talkest thou with her?" And the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith to the men. Come and see a man. This is the woman at the well. Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? She was a believer. And then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, or asked him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have a meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said his disciples one to another, Hath somebody brought him something to eat? And then he says, Jesus said unto them, My meat that I eat is to do. My meat is not something I put in my mouth. Therefore, when we eat flesh and drink blood, we don't put Jesus' body in our mouth. It's something we do. Right? It is to do the will of Him that sent me and finish His work. That's my meat. The word meat is the word phagos. Phagos means something to eat. There was a restaurant down here at Rivergate years ago called Phagos, or to eat. That's what it meant. Now, look at another. Look over here in Matthew, the 24th chapter. Go to Matthew 24. And we'll kind of develop this as we go along the way. Matthew 24. We're talking about how do you eat of the body of Christ. Matthew 24. 
And look here in verse 44 and 45 and 46. Well, let's just, let's read that. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his Lord hath made ruler over his house? Behold, to them, to give them meat in due season. Now, the master of the house, which is Christ, has given us meat in due season. And notice what this meat is. Blesses that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing this meat. This is meat. This is something you do. Remember the word law is the word nomos in the Greek. It means legally prescribed food for animals. In our case, sheep. Is the law something we do? Isn't that something we do? That's what it is, isn't it? That's what we do, and that's our meat. Now, the Roman Catholics have taken those words, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they put an imagination to it. They have imagined they can raise that Eucharist up like you've got in this. This is a Roman Catholic book. I had a fellow come here one time. He had gone to a monastery in, in uh, Kentucky to become a Roman Catholic priest. And he told me after church, after I showed this, he said, that's a Roman Catholic book. They give it to the novices that come to uh, this monastery to become priests. It's called Inside Catholicism. And it shows the priest holding the Eucharist and they raise it up, and they utter the words, Hoc est corpus ilum fili. Where did I get that? I got it out of a word history book that I've got in my library. Hoc est, hoc est corpus. That's the word corpse there, corpus ilum fili. And they say this turns into the literal body and blood of Christ. It's a bloodless altar, they say, within the Eucharist, which is the focal point of all Roman Catholicism, is the body and blood of Christ. And you have to eat of that. If you don't partake of the Eucharist in the Roman Catholic Church, you can't go to heaven. Sheldon was a Roman Catholic when he was young. He said when he had his first communion, and he ate this Eucharist. He said, now I get to go to heaven because I've eaten the body of Christ. It's crazy because he don't believe that now. And this has got all this Catholic stuff all through it. It's got Mary, the Queen of Heaven. There she is. Mary, Queen of Heaven. And the Roman Catholics married her Queen of Heaven, and she's not. The Queen of Heaven was the moon. The Queen of Heaven, Israel was condemned for worshiping the Queen of Heaven in Jeremiah, the seventh chapter, in Jeremiah, the forty-fourth chapter. That was six hundred years before Jesus was born. 
Now, there's something I got to be sure and give you. I got to go back to John 6. John 6. The Bible doesn't even say what it says in the English language in the interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible is the Textus Receptus. Here it is right here. It has got, you've got the Greek New Testament, and on the top line it has the Greek, right under it, it's got the English. I don't even trust the English in an interlinear Bible. I use the English to locate the Greek word. Then I explain to you in English, since that was what we speak, what that word actually means. That's what I'm doing. Now, you need an interlinear to understand some of these things, but you're going to have to learn your Greek alphabet, which is very simple to learn. It's basically our alphabet. You just have to learn these figures and what they... This is an... This is an E, this is a Z, this is an E, this is a TH, a Theta, I-K-L-M-N-X-O-P-R-S-T-U. See, it's basic alphabet. Anybody can learn it. Now, I've got to, I've got to, I was going to go, oh, I've got to show you this. How do I know this says this? Look it up in the original text. And it will show you. Well, let me let me do this. Genesis. I mean, I'll get it right. John. Boy, I get something on my mind. I'll go over here. John. If anybody wants to see this, I'll show it to you. John six. All right. And I'll show you exactly what it says in here. John six. Where Jesus comes to the to the apostles and he tells them about eat flesh and drink blood. John six. All right. And Jesus says here in John six, verse fifty five. Well, let's read 54. Whosoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is... It doesn't say my flesh. It says the flesh of me. It says 55. Let me see here. All right. 6.55. It says... Or two... Artan, 55, at the last day, hold on here, the flesh the 55, 56, alright, partaking of the flesh, here's what it says, Tain Saka, Except you eat the flesh, tame. That is the word. This is tau, ada, nu. 
The new is the N. L-M-N, the new. Looks like a V. The Ada is out here. That's a long E like they. Anytime you have an Ada in the end of a word, look here. Let me show you. Here is all the ways you spell the in the Greek language. Doesn't say except you eat my flesh. It says except you eat the flesh of me. I should have gone slower through this when I did it. Here it is right here. This is all the words the right here in the New Testament. This is all feminine gender right here. Ada, taste, te, tame, depending on where it is in the sentence. Nominative, genitive, dative, accusative, case. This is feminine gender. The, the, let me give you the exact spelling of it. Except you eat the flesh. Sarka, S-A-R-K-A, S. A R K A. This is feminine gender. This is feminine gender. It doesn't say except you eat my flesh. My is a possessive pronoun. They, they is an adjective. You can't translate that way, but they did. How can I say that? This is out of, this right here is out of Machen's New Testament Greek and his book was used in all seminaries for about 50 years. Well, he's the most famous of all the Greek scholars that I know of. He used it for 50 years in all the seminaries in America. And they is feminine gender. It's not my flesh, it's the flesh of me. What would God's feminine flesh be? Well, his flesh, according to Hebrews, look at Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10. I really need to go slow on this so you can understand it. What is the feminine flesh of God? This is all very figurative language. Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies by the, by the blood of Jesus, not by the blood of a goat, on the spiritual day of atonement, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, or the flesh. It actually says the flesh, feminine gender. We enter into the Holy of Holies through the veil that is his flesh. And the Bible says that his flesh 
When we eat the flesh, we eat of truth. Aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A. For my flesh is meat indeed. My blood is drink indeed. Aletheia comes from Lanthano, meaning to hide. Meaning to hide or conceal. And when the alpha privative is in front of a word as a negative particle, it negates the word. It is the word aletheia. It means not to hide anything. God's flesh is his truth in his believers in the church, which is the body of Christ. When you eat the body of Christ, you partake of the church, don't you? I'm not through with this yet. All right. You take of the body, you partake of the church. Now go back here to John 6. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, well, the bread is Christ. And Christ has to be in us as the bread. He shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh. So the flesh is the bread which I will give for the life of the world. So when we eat his flesh and drink his blood, we eat and drink of truth, which is the bread, which is Christ. Now look back over here at 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. 16. This is very figurative language. I've never heard any man even preach at it or on it because it takes too much work to find out what it means. 1 Corinthians 10.16 The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? To drink of a cup, especially to drink blood, meant to undergo a death. When Jesus said, Father, be thy will, let this cup pass from me. He was talking about his death the next day on the cross. And he wasn't talking about his physical death. He's talking about his spiritual death where he's separated from the Father. And he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Which he had never said before or since. It's because at that moment he took upon himself the sins of all the elect of all time. And only the elect. The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body? So the bread is communing with the body. And how many bodies are there? Ephesians 4 and 5. There is one body. So we commune in the body of Christ. We have communion in the body. How do we do that and how do we eat of his body? For we being many, now look at verse 17. We being many are one bread and one body. We're the one body. So if we eat of the body, we've got to eat of whatever this body is. Isn't that right? When Jesus said, this is my body, he used... Instead of the word is, he used the word esteem. 
and this is in Matthew 26. He said, this means my body or represents. He didn't use the word is. Is would be the word E-I-N-A-I-N-I. That would be the word is. He didn't use that. He said, this represents my body, and we being many are one bread and one body. One more time. Colossians, the first chapter. Colossians. This will tell you what the body is. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. The church is the body. So we eat of the church. We don't chew on each other. We don't walk up and take a bite out of each other. We eat of the body. How do we do that? We do the body of Christ. Remember, food is doing. And then he says in verse 22, in the body of the flesh, it doesn't say his flesh. It says the tastes. Tau, Ada, Sigma. There it is right here. Tau, Ada, Sigma. See that? Tau, Ada, Sigma. Feminine gender. When do you find these things? I'm going to change them to what they really say. Verse 22. In the body of the flesh. The body's the church. The wife. The bride of Christ. So we eat of that body. Take eat. This is my body. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Then verse 24 says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. So if we eat of the body and there's one body, we eat of the church. What does that mean? Well, that's a real good question, isn't it? Go over here to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. This will tell you exactly what that's talking about. It's not talking about the Mass, and it's not talking about communion. 1 Corinthians. Where did I say we was going? Huh? All right. The body is the church. 1 Corinthians 12. This will tell you how you eat of the body of Christ. Or you partake of the body. Let me put it this way. This is how you... Remember, eat means to do, doesn't it? I have a meat to eat of, to do the will of my Father, and that's nomos, that's the Greek word law, and the law is something we do, it's something we eat, because law means prescribed food for animals, and we are sheep, and it's our prescribed food. That's what we eat of. Eat doesn't mean just to stick something in your mouth and chew on it. Now, I don't want to know if I, how, how much time do I have, Mike? 29. 
I may have to give you part of this. This is talking about the gifts that God has given to everybody in the church. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, verse 1, I would not have you ignorant. You know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. And that no man can say Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now that's not when Kenneth Copeland said, Jesus is Lord. Lord means he rules your life. Lord Kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. Let me erase some of this. Kurios is the word Lord. You can't say, Jesus is Lord, and believe that unless you're doing what God says to do. Lord is the word kurios. It means to rule over or be Lord. It means to rule over. But this people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, Jesus said in Matthew 15, quoting Isaiah. Now, let's keep reading. Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man speaking, oh, I've already read that. Now, there are diversities of gifts. Here's how you eat of the body. Diversities of gifts. But the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities, distinctions of everybody's eating in the body of Christ. And I'll show you it's eating as we get on down to this chapter. But it is the same God who works all in all. God's got everybody where he wants them to be. He's got me preaching. I've had young men come in and say, I think it's time for me to preach. Well, not here it's not. You've got to go down the street somewhere, but don't get in the shadow of grace and truth ministries and say, God called me to set up a ministry two blocks down the street. No, he didn't. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit withal. To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. Wisdom comes with age. It's having studied for many years. When much wisdom is grief is increased, then there's much grief. To another, the word of knowledge by the same Spirit. A word of knowledge comes by the Spirit. Now, this is one of the great mistakes in the world today that bird brain over there and uh, what's his name says he has a word of knowledge word of knowledge and they shut their eyes and they pretend to pray and they say there's someone out there that's got an ache in their liver and and we have a word of knowledge and you can take hold of this and grab it for yourself. That's not a word of knowledge, you knucklehead. Pat Robertson. It's not a word of knowledge. Word of knowledge comes by the same Spirit and the Holy Spirit is the truth. John 14, 15, 16, John 15, 26, John 16, 13, 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. Aletheia, A-L-E-T-H-E-I-A, 
I've said it already, comes from lanthano, meaning to lie hid, and the alpha privative in front of that means not to hide anything. The word of knowledge, knowledge is the word gnosis. It means something you learn. You have to learn knowledge by studying the Word by the same Spirit when you take the cover off and you tell people what things mean. That's a word of knowledge. It's not, oh, I've got a word of knowledge and there's somebody out there who's got a headache. You're on a national TV. There's 5,000 people with headaches out there. It's kind of like Jan Crouch used to say. Oh, there's a little lady out there and you've got a $100 in a fruit jar and you're saving that for a good day. When you're... When you're on TV all over the world, there's 10,000 ladies with $100 in a fruit jar. That's insane to say something like that. And you want to give that to TBN, the Devil's Broadcasting Network, DBN. What foolish people. Word of knowledge, my foot. Just good grief. And then it goes on to say, to one is given by the Spirit of God the word of wisdom, to another word of knowledge. To another faith by the same Spirit, by the truth. Faith is death to self. To another the gifts of healing. We don't have that anymore. By the same Spirit. If you have the gifts of healing, Paul called these the gifts of an apostle. They also had the gift the gift of healing was touching somebody and they would be well. It wasn't say, be healed. That wasn't a gift of healing. They could also take up serpents and if they were bitten, they wouldn't even be affected. Saw a guy on TV last night. He had a snake handling. It was a rattlesnake. And the snake reached out and popped him in the neck and he started having all kinds of seizures and probably took him out and he died. That's not what handling serpents is about. Paul was bitten by Mediterranean viper in that 28th chapter of Acts, and his hand didn't swell up, and the Bible says that serpent hung on to his hand. I've researched, I had a book on serpents, and I looked at the Mediterranean viper. They have hooked fangs, so when they bite, they hang on. And the Bible says he hung on, and those pagans on that island of Melita said, he must be a criminal, he gets bit like that. And then when he didn't swell up, they said he's got to be a god. No, that was a gift of an apostle. You'd have that if you have this other gifts. The gifts of an apostle ceased when the church matured. They no longer had the ability to speak in Glossa and dialectos, tongues. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the same truth. To another, the working of miracles. If you can work miracles, then you are an apostle. To another, prophecy. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, diverse kinds of glossa foreign languages. That's because you studied them for a long time. To another interpretation of tongues, what this is talking about is eating the body of Christ, and it'll show you in just a minute. To another interpretation of tongues, but all of these worketh 
that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills to eat of the body of Christ. For as the body is one, there's one body, Ephesians 4 and 5, and hath many members, that's like my body here has got fingers and toes and legs and hands, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit or by the truth are we all blood baptized into one body. There's only one baptism, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and it's blood, and it's no longer water. Whether we Jews or Gentiles, whether we bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. And here's how you eat of the body in the next verse. For if the foot shall say, the foot is eating of the body or partaking of the body. Because I'm not of the hand, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? Because I'm not the piano player, because I'm not the preacher, I'm not of the body. Everybody has a place in the body of Christ. One is to play the piano, there's one to preach. There is others to to do work in the body, to run the cameras. To These are all in the body of Christ. And if the eye shall say unto the ear, shall say unto the eye, I am not of the body. It is it therefore not of the body. This is how you eat of the body. You partake, you do. If the whole body were an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole body were the preacher, where's, where's the piano player? Where's the song leader? Where, if, and if the whole were hearing, where is the smelling? And now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, the one body, the church, feminine body, the wife, the bride, the flesh. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Now we are all many members yet, but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee nor against the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Every part of the body is necessary. If you don't have any fingernails, you can't hardly walk around and pick anything up because you'll be bumping your your the bones inside your fingers and getting stone bruises every time you touch something. You know what a stone bruise is? Boy, that hurts. You couldn't, if you didn't have any toenails... You'd be having stone bruises on your feet and you'd say, I can't walk anymore. There would be bad bruises. If you didn't have any appendix, there'd be nothing there to suck the poison out of your system. Or your tonsils do the same thing. Nay, much more those members of the body which we seem, which seem to be more feeble or necessary. The the people that don't look like they fit in well are necessary, like the tonsils, like the appendix. Don't just say, I want to be a hand. I want to be an eye. God's got everybody placed in the body where they can eat of the body. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, ask the nace. They're feeble. They're not as honorable. 
Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Comely means to be beautiful. We have to take more time for those people that don't seem to have personalities, those people who seem to be a little backward. We need to stop and take time for them, not the guy that's popular, the woman that's beautiful, and they're that's respecting persons. For our comely parts have no need. I said this to Jim Reynolds one time. He's sitting down in front. I said, this is talking about you, Jim. You're very glib. You're quick, quick-witted, and you always got an answer. I said, you don't need any more attention. I said, you're very talented. I said, you don't need any more attention, do you? He said, no, I don't. And he knew that. But God has tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. Everybody's got a place to eat of the body of Christ, even the downtrodden. That there should be no schism in the body, the church, the wife, the bride that we eat of. And it tells us how we eat of this body. But that the members should have the same care one of another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Just because somebody's downtrodden, they're having a hard time. Don't mean, well, they're having a tough time, tough. We're supposed to suffer with them. Go out of the way to help them. Are one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, verse 27 tells you how we eat of the body of Christ. It just got through describing how you partake. Now ye are the body of Christ, members in particular. That word particular tells you how you eat of the body of Christ. It's not the mass. It's not crackers and grape juice. That word particular, meros, means a portion to eat of. You see, all these things that describe the hand and the ear and the eye, those are positions in the physical body. And every, the way you have a place in the body, God's got you as a hand, as a ear, as a piano player, as, a, as someone. I can't do anything but clean the church. Well, good. We need that, too. God needs that. I can run errands. Well, that also is a part of the body. If you don't run the errand, I will. Somebody has to go to the post office. Mike goes. Tom goes. Dave goes. I go. We all go to the post office and mail things all the time. Everybody's got something to do in the body. That's members in particular. That word meros is a word used by the apostles in the last chapter of Luke. Luke. Luke, the 24th chapter. Jesus is resurrected from the dead and he goes up to Galilee to talk to the apostles. And when he gets to Galilee, they're out there, been out there fishing. And let's read some of this in verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood 
in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. He walks through a wall and appears. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit because they were inside this room and the doors were shut. And he appeared. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. That is, I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. He was in his glorified body. He had resurrected from the dead. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And when, while they yet believed not for joy, wandered, he said unto them, Do you have any meat to eat? Well, that's really good. And they gave him a piece of fish. They gave him a maros of fish. That's the same thing as we're members in particular partake of the body of Christ. When we eat of the body, we partake of what God has placed us in. We don't say, I want to be the preacher. I want to be the song leader. I think he's getting too much glory. That sounds like Aaron and Miriam about Moses. That's amazing to me. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb. They gave him a piece of maros. The amazing thing, when you place the alpha in front of maros, it translates, it negates no legal food. It translates A-M-A-R-T-I-A. Hamartia, there's an H sound. Hamartia is the word amaras. It means no legal food. It means no, or it actually means sin. Hamartia is the word sin. So, when you're sin, and where did that start? In the garden. In the garden. God put a tree in the midst of the garden, said you cannot eat of that. That is H-A-M-A-R-T-I-A. That's sin. It's also A-N-O-M-I-A. Anomia is the word iniquity. Iniquity and it's a construction of nomos, means illegal food for sheep, means sheep food, and the alpha period in front of it means no sheep food. When you eat of that tree in the midst of the garden, you go beyond the boundary line of God, and you miss, this word hamartia means to miss the mark. Mark, the mark of the beast is the karagma of the beast. Karagma means character. 
character, and it comes from the word karax. Karax means a mark on a boundary line. God set the boundary and said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden out here, but you cannot eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the garden. And who planted that there? And who made up the law? God made up the law and said, thou shalt not, and you will because you're made of corrupt dust. That's amazing to me. You can eat of all these trees. The mark of the beast was in the garden because what Eve saw in the garden, when she looked at the tree, she saw a tree that was good for food, it was pleasant to the eye, and it would make her wise. And John said, that's everything in the world. All that's in the world, all in the world. First John 2.16, all in the world is not of the Father, it's of the world. And there you have the lust of the flesh. It would be good for food. The lust of the eye, it would be pleasant to the eye and the pride of life. And she could be proud of herself and be wise. That's what's in the tree. And that's what's unlawful food. And what they were eating, when you eat of the body of Christ, you eat of the church. And you you have a position in the church. Do I have any time, Mike? Where did this cracker and grape juice come from? Well, let me tell you where it came from. What they did in the first century, they gathered together since Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. That's when he rose from the dead. And people say, well, say the first day of the Sabbath. Well, that's right. That's what it says. The Jews numbered every day of the week from the Sabbath. Here's the way they did it. They said, you had the Sabbath, which was Saturday. They didn't call it Saturday. They called it they called it Sabbath. And then they numbered every other day. Anytime you find first day of the week, first day of week, the word week is Sabbath. First day of Sabbath. What they did, they named every day of the week. They said the first day of the Sabbath was what we call Sunday. They numbered everything from the Sabbath. The second day of the Sabbath was Monday. The third day of the Sabbath was Tuesday. The fourth day of the Sabbath was Wednesday. The fifth day of the Sabbath was Thursday, or Thursday. And the sixth day of the Sabbath was Friday, or Sabbath Eve, the mother of the Sabbath. That's why they numbered it. So anytime somebody says, well, this is the first day of the Sabbath, that's right. Do you know how they numbered them? Am I out of time? Five. I was going to tell you where this cracker and grape juice come from. I don't think I'll... I may go over it again next week. There was a church father. He wasn't much of a father. His name was Cyprian. 
in the third century. Well, I need to tell you what happened before the third century. They had what they called an agape love feast every first day of the week. Agape love feast. I'm telling you what actually is not why Christmas is not the mass, eating human flesh. It's not eating of the literal body. It's partaking of the church, the body, the bride, the wife. It's eating of his flesh, the feminine flesh. It's not his flesh, it's the flesh. Which is the wife. i got more to say about that. They had an agape love feast on the first day of the week. First day. The Bible says in Acts 20th chapter that on the first day of the week, Paul preached. Let every man lay by and store as God hath prospered him. On the first day of the week. On Sunday, there in 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Well, they gather together on the first day of the week to fellowship in truth, to meet together. And that grew into what we would call church. And what they did, they brought food and money for the poor and the needy. I have a real desire for the needy people in the world. I have been needy. When I was growing up, we were very poor. I had to get a paper out to buy my own shoes, my own socks, my own underwear, belts, any spending money I had. I got a paper out at 12 years old. I've never asked my father for a nickel to this day, not one dime. Not that I'm proud in that. It's just that I have learned a good work ethic. And I've never taken any money from anybody in my life. And there's nothing wrong with it if you're poor and you're struggling. Because a lot of people haven't had the chances. And a lot of people don't have the drive that other people have. I've had tremendous, I have a tremendous amount of drive in me. When I was young, I just worked like a, like a horse all the time at everything I ever did. Nothing wrong with not having that. Everybody is not self-starters. I'm a self-starter, and I could make things happen. But most people are not that way. And I have a real desire to help the people. And what they did, they kept this going. They kept this, they call this agape love feast. You can take your A volume and look up agape. It'll tell you about that feast in McClinic and Strong. They got together for the poor to bring them food and money. That's why in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, where you find this, this Passover referred to in these other chapters, it talks about the feast of charity that they had. That's the same feast of charity that Peter talks about in 1 Peter the third chapter where people will come and sit down in our feast of charity. It was a it was a love feast for for the poor, for the downtrodden, so they could help take care of them. And they kept doing that till about one fifty one fifty three, some say around one fifty three AD, some say one fifty seven AD. 
And they said about 157, Enoch Pond in his church history. Enoch Pond, Williston Walker. These are church historians. Williston Walker and Backhouse and Tyler. Church historians, excellent historians, Backhouse and Tyler. They said that around 157 A.D., they were having this feast for the poor, and they they became where they were under the siege of the Roman Empire, and they were hiding from the Romans. So they would meet in caves, and they'd meet in in uh, the catacombs, which were the tunnels under Rome, and they would be hiding from this persecution and the they would gather together and they'd say did you bring some grape juice yeah did you bring some bread yeah and that they would continue to do this and this this ritual of bread and wine broke off from that that agape love feast and became a liturgy in the church. And it was in the end of the, it was a man named Cyprian that kept that thing alive in the 3rd century, around 257 A.D., until the Catholic Church started in 325 A.D. And he kept that, they were gathering together and using that liturgy or that ritual in the church and it broke off of this agape love feast and kept going till the Roman Catholics brought it into the church and made it one of their rituals. You can learn these things by reading church history. I've run out of time. I've got a lot more to say about this. I've got to go into the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians and go through that because you've got to, I've told you a little bit about each of these chapters John 13, Luke 22, Mark 14, and particularly about the death of the lamb. If it came time to kill the Passover, where's this cracker and grape juice work in there? It's, I don't, I'm the only person I have ever heard talk about the Passover lamb had to be killed during this so-called crackers and grape juice communion. Why would you other guys, what are you preachers, what's wrong with you? Have you missed that? I'm out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. God, sometimes I don't, there's so many places to go with these subjects. I don't know exactly where to go, Lord. There's so much. Thank you for your truth. Thank you magnificently for your truth. Unravel this thing so we can unravel it to people so they can see these things, that we have so much apostasy in the world, not just from the Catholics, from the Baptists and the Pentecostals, from the rest of them. It seems like they've joined in with the Catholics to become apostate. Thank you for truth. Fight our battles for us. Strengthen the flock, Lord, the people that are watching out there. Help them to see what they need to see. 
and we'll give you praise for everything. In Christ's name, amen.